Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, this morning we continue our conversion series, and I want us to go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 21 to 23, conversion. And today, as we talk about what it means to to live with Jesus at the center of all things in our life, I want us to see what it means to be known by Jesus, intimacy over familiarity. Known by Jesus, intimacy over familiarity. Let's go to the Word first, and I'll read verses 21 through 23 of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Monday evening, my family and I were driving into Springfield for dinner and if you've been north on Campbell Avenue at pretty much any given time of the day but especially late in the evenings you know how congested that traffic can become and it was pretty much stop and go stop and go and when it seemed as though we were about to accelerate through uh, several stoplights the car in front of me immediately stopped like that kind of stop you know where they go from this way to jumping on the nose of their car and I mean I thought I don't know if I can stop. I hit the brakes and I got stopped. But immediately upon hitting the brakes, my eyes glanced up to a motion in the rearview mirror that I saw. And all I could see in the car that was accelerating and exceedingly closely to my car was the top of the lady's head driving. She had not looked up. And my first prayer was this, Lord, we're about to be hit at a very high rate of speed for this impact. And I sat there completely paralyzed by the situation, as I'm sure some of you have been in similar situations. And the next thing that I saw went from the top of her head to her eyeballs as they became this large. And she began that breaking that's jackhammering the nose of her car ever more closely into the back of us. And the closer she got, her eyeballs just filled my rearview mirror. And all I could do was brace for impact. By this point, everybody in the car knew we're about to be slammed from behind. I have no idea to this moment how she did not crush the rear end of our car. But as she filled the rear view mirror, I noticed the cars in front, the brake lights released, and they accelerated. And I immediately hit the gas and took off to try and give her as much room as she needed to jackhammer as much asphalt as she needed. Get out of the way, right? That moment paralyzed me, waiting for that impact. You know, I feel like these verses have a very similar effect. That Matthew and the writer of the gospel stuns us with the words of Jesus in some way to begin to immediately ask, what does this mean? Is there any way that 
any of this could be true of me. And as we begin this morning, I want to pose one defining question that kind of ruminates through your heart and your mind throughout the message today. And here it is. Would you describe your relationship with Jesus as familiar or as intimate? Familiar with God or intimate? Let me expound on that to explain the question a little more. Are you walking by faith in obedience to Jesus to build greater intimacy in your relationship with him? Or are you satisfied with the level of familiarity by which you know him, by which you know the Bible, his word, about which you feel like you do enough for him? As we stop this morning to consider our relationship with Christ, I want us to go back to the text and I want us to consider these three startling statements that Jesus makes. And I want us to ask them of our own life and what Jesus is saying. First of all, verse 21, he simply says to us that not everyone who claims to know God does. Rather, only those who do the will of God truly know God. You see, Jesus says that not everyone who thinks they know God actually does. Not everyone who considers themselves a Christian will be welcomed into eternity by Jesus. Rather, only those who do God's will will enter God's eternal kingdom. A couple of weeks ago, I had my annual physical. And I've got to be honest with you, I only started that practice again just a few short years ago after a number of years of, well, quite frankly, just being rebellious. I wanted to live as though I didn't need that reminder and that point of accountability. But my wife, who is my ultimate accountability, said, you're going. And so I went. Because that's what I do, what she says. And that's how marriage is made. That's all lighthearted. I'm already in trouble, so be in prayer for me later today. But you know, that appointment every year is a reminder for me of something I don't necessarily like to admit. This life is frail and fragile. And if I don't keep an eye on it, it can get out of hand really quick. And it can go in a bad way. Seems that we're headed that way already, but there are things we can do to make it higher quality and better. I feel like these three verses are in many ways that kind of moment for us as well. A checkup, if you will. A point of accountability to help us. Because Jesus' words confront us for sober discernment. He's not trying to create questions. He's not trying to cause doubt that is unhelpful for you. But he provides for us a reality check in order for us to consider what we claim with our words about God as compared with the way we live our lives for God. And to simply see how close do these things Align. Friends, if you claim to know God in any way, surely these words demand your attention and consideration. 
Jesus goes on to explain more in verse 22. He says this, that a a day is coming when each person will stand before me and will give account for their life. And he says at that moment, there will be many reasons and many rationales provided that are determined by good deeds and good words and, and even miraculous works that are done all in his name. And I would add to that, based on contemporary Christianity today, in addition to good deeds, there will be many great experiences and emotions that will be offered. But God, I felt you. I experienced you. There will be innumerable counterfeit ideas, Jesus says, of what it means to be a real follower of Christ. But none of them satisfy God's righteous and holy demand for entry into his eternal kingdom. And we need to hear this, friends. We need to hear that there is a day of ultimate accountability that is coming for each one of us. And not try to live as though we can avoid it and get around it. And on that day, it will not be one person's profession that matters first. But it is, as Jesus says, the possession of that life. In other words, that which has consumed you to the extent that it controls you. Not your possessions, but your possession. That which controls you. All of your life. Surely what we say is important, but what Jesus says is that our words without action will never prove to be ultimate. True belief is made known by how you live. And the only one who does God's will is the one who trusts in God's work through Jesus Christ alone. Finally, in verse 23, we see what happens to all who are not known by Jesus. Jesus says, on that day, all that are not known by Jesus will be eternally cast away once and for all. This is a shocking contrast that he draws, that all who are not known by Jesus, many of which will make considerable claims about knowing him, but will be cast away as workers of lawlessness. Did you hear that? Those who did things in his name, those who did things supposedly in his power, cast away as workers of lawlessness, a phrase that denotes those who would do in his name would not be bothered, though, by his will, and who would claim that they were fulfilling his holy law and his righteous demand based on what they could do instead of what he had already done. You see, the problem is when we offer God what we can do for him, we fail to consider what he's already said and done for us. And so we subjugate, we mitigate, we make our terms with God instead of allowing God's terms in Christ Jesus to remake us. The only people that will be welcomed into God's eternal kingdom on that day are not 
those who claim to know God, Jesus says, but rather those who are known by God. So friends, I pose to you today the unpacking of the question that I began with. In your relationship with God and in your consideration of is it a growing intimacy or is it a comfortable familiarity? Does the phrase known by God describe your relationship with him? That day is coming when what you believe determined by how you live will be clearly revealed before God. And you will either be welcomed into his eternal kingdom or you will be cast away into eternal punishment. That's why James tells us in chapter 1 verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving Yourself. You see, Jesus is saying these people deceived themselves by doing what they wanted to do and not doing what the word said to do. God's will. Claims about God's activity in God's name are never a substitute for relationship with God. And familiarity with God in any manner and to any extent always becomes a false substitute for intimacy with God when we fail to trust in Jesus alone. You see, relationship with God and the question of our salvation is not about whether you know God, but it is about whether you are known by God. That's what Jesus is pressing us to look at today. And what I want you to see today is that a life of obedience to Jesus distinguishes the real Christ follower by intimacy over familiarity with him. A life of obedience to Jesus distinguishes the real Christ follower by intimacy over familiarity with him. You know, Paul defines salvation with this phrase known by God. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul records, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather, he says, to be known by God. That's salvation according to the scriptures. Being known by God or intimacy with God is the very essence of the Christian life. And what a privilege to be known by the creator of the universe, friends. Is, is being known not the cry of every heart of every person? We, we desire to be liked. We long to be accepted. We want to be loved for who we are. We want to be understood. We want to be sought out and sought after. Our longing is to be known, and, and, and the deepest and the greatest longing of our life is to be known by the one for whom we were created, God. The Bible tells us that we were created in his image, and one of the first understandings we have is there is an image of the divine within us that cries out from deep within us to be known by him for whom we were created. And the gospel tells us that in Jesus, 
we are known by God. What a high privilege for us, friends. I want to spend the remainder of our time this morning looking at a threefold pattern of what I call gospel-fueled intimacy with God. And I want to warn you this morning as we walk through this to consider your own life and ask the Spirit of God to search you and to try you and to show you any way in which you are substituting a gospel-fueled intimacy with God by a simple familiarity with Him in some measure, some manner, to some degree. The first aspect of this pattern I want you to see is simply the invitation by revelation for response. For the gospel proclaims God's ultimate victory over Satan, over death, and over sin by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Romans 3, chapter 24, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 24 and 25 says this, that Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Here it is that he tells us how it is that the gospel has provided us this intimacy with God. God put forth his only begotten son, Jesus, as the propitiation for our sin by offering him up on the cross. What does that mean? Our propitiation. But it is a transaction where God paid our sin debt by Jesus' blood in order to pay our ransom from sin's enslavement and death and rescue us from that very sin. You see, the gospel proclaims that Jesus is the only Savior from God. There are not many ways to God. There are many ways to many gods, but there is only one way to the true God. And the only way is through the propitiating, the ransom-paying blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for us. On the cross, our Savior bore our shame and bore our condemnation from sin because He, by faith, took our place and He died our death that He might give to us his life. And he did this that those who hear the gospel can believe by putting their faith into that and receive the forgiveness of sin and the cleansing from it. You see, friends, when we believe God's revelation to us in the gospel, by faith we receive Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. His death becomes our death. His life becomes our life. And it is through our confession, our agreement with God, and our repentance of turning away from ourselves and turning away from our sin and turning to him to receive the forgiveness and the cleansing that he alone can provide. For Jesus, who is the gospel, by his revelation and by our response of faith, invites us into him. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is no rest from your sin outside of Jesus. In Jesus, there is no striving after release. He bestows it. Upon you. Friends, the question is do you want to be known by God? He has revealed his love for you on the cross and he is inviting you to respond 
by faith. Intimacy with God. Being known by God begins with God's invitation by the revelation of himself for you to respond in faith to Jesus. And this invitation leads us in its pattern of gospel-fueled intimacy into this next aspect. When you trust Jesus, God brings you near. You have what I call access for communion in personal relationship. When you place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, repenting of your sin and receiving the forgiveness and the cleansing that he alone can give, God gives you access for communion in personal relationship. You see, friends, the God who loves by invitation welcomes us into his presence. We who were created for him, but alienated from him, now have access to him. Through Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, we are reconciled with the Father. We are brought back into his presence. And listen to the way that Paul in Ephesians 3 describes him, in whom, speaking of Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith, with him. Friends, this isn't a we've got to find a window that was left unlocked. We don't sneak in the back door or some unknown way, but Paul teaches that with boldness and access, with confidence, we come into the presence of God the Father because of the finished work of Jesus the Son. God comes near and he makes a way through Jesus to bring us close to himself. There is no invitation by God's revelation that demands and invites our response that does not bring us into the presence of God. The Christian life, is distinguished by a God who has come to us and brought us near to him. Not that hails his demands at us and beckons his laugh upon us as we strive desperately to get into his presence, but that welcomes us into his presence. Friends, knowing God and being known by God at its very essence is about the boldness of our access we have with confidence in him, not because of what we've done, no matter how miraculous the works might have been, but in the once for all work of Christ on the cross, we come into the presence of God. And friends, God's presence is not merely a place we run when our troubles and problems arise. Surely we should be there when they do. It is our dwelling place. It is the place where Christians remain in order to, as Jesus teaches in John 15, abide in him that our lives might bear great fruit for glory from him. Romans 5.2 goes on to tell us about this access when it says that through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we, what does it say, now stand Friends, the verb of stand 
is a perfect ongoing action. You know what that means? It's eternal. It's immediate and it is eternal. It is without end. That the very place that believers in Jesus live their life is this access with God for communion and personal relationship. We commune with him to build that intimacy by the spirit of God that inhabits our life. When God brings us into his presence, he fills us, he empowers us, he strengthens us. He counsels us. He comforts us. He guides us. He leads us. He goes before us. We are never alone in the abiding access we have in the presence and communion with God because of Jesus by Holy Spirit who fills us. This is the relational reality, not only of knowing God, but of being known by God. And as that relational knowledge of God, which transcends only the intellect or the emotion, even to the very core of our being as it expands within every part of us. It strengthens us. It deepens us as we release ourselves to him and as he saturates us to every corner and permeates by the light of his truth to consume our whole being. This is intimacy with God. The access for communion that we enjoy through Christ is the place where relational intimacy with God buds within us to grow. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 and 22 tells us, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with full assurance of faith. In other words, the writer is saying, we couldn't do any other than because that's the very place that our heart and soul longs to be. And he says, we come near with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, this access for communion that God brings us into through Jesus Christ is where we lay down our fears and our insecurities, our pretenses of life before God in order to be helped in our weaknesses and strengthened in our relationship with him. We lay down our burdens. We cast off our sins before God that we might abide to receive his presence in direct response to his conquering of the sin in our life and of our life. In the access with God for communion, we put off the self in order to put on Christ. We die to self in order that he might live within us. We become less that he might be more in us. Access for communion is the power place for the Christian where we throw off the self-insufficiency to take up the full sufficiency of Christ for us. Friends, it's like that four-year-old. I want to draw a mental image. If you want to close your eyes and listen to this brief story, it might help. It's like that four-year-old who hops out of the bathtub. Man feels clean. And in a moment's notice, sheds his parents' arms to throw off that towel, to run into the family room, stark naked, and announce, Hello, family, I'm here! That's what's called naked and unashamed, friends. That's what access for communion with God is like. You know why? Because the parents, and even more so, incalculably more so, the grandparents sitting on the couch, grin from east to west, and throw their arms out. 
Yes, you are, and I'm so glad I'm here to receive you. See, that's, that's what we begin to imagine God doing when we come into his presence, naked and unashamed. Not because of our work, but because of his. It's like the toddler who, once they've left the family room and put their sleep clothes on, wants to climb up into mom or daddy's lap. Say, read to me. Talk to me, mama. Daddy, pray for me. I want to hear your voice call my name. I want to hear you speak to me. Tell me wondrous things about God's love. This is what access for communion is all about. It is our longing to be known that we might be satisfied with God in our relationship with Jesus. And he tells us that this access, friends, is not intimacy just for a few, but it is for all who will trust to come into God's presence. Friends, God comes near to all who draw near to him. God gives access for communion, for relational intimacy to grow in all who will come near to him. Friends, are you addressing the longing of your soul to be known by running to the one who formed you to know him? That's what access is all about. But hear me, friends. God's invitation by the revelation of himself for our response and the access for communion through personal relationship is not the culmination. The scriptures teach us that it culminates in another way. Intimacy that buds by communion with God through Jesus Christ moves us to fulfillment in obedience to him. And that's the third Phase. Obedience for the glory of redeeming love. If you want to understand God's word and you want to know God's will, you must do God's word. God's grace inflames the affections to fuel the heart with a courage and with a strength, with an assurance and a confidence because we've been in his presence by the finished work of Christ for us. Friends, obedience to God is not the summons of some impersonal inner force within us or strength in and of ourselves. Obedience is when Christians walk daily, moment by moment, in their access with God to let God live in them and to be lived out through them. Obey is when we command, is our command to trust God regardless of what the accusations of our sinful nature within us try to convince us of. Obedience to God is our command to trust him regardless of what the opposition from the outside is saying to us in the moment or about the situation. Obedience is where we experience the power of God's love not only coming to us but working in us to work out through us. 1 John 5, 3 reminds us the love of God is that we keep his commandments. If you want to walk in the power of God's love in your life, it will always culminate in you walking in obedience to his word. And as Jesus says, the ones that are truly known by God are the ones who are walking in obedience to his word. You can act in ways that have the appearance of godliness Thessalonians tells us, but have no true relationship with Jesus. Why? Because when they live, they may look like God, but they always deny God's power. 
Friends, that will always result for you in a lack of joy and a lack of sustaining strength. You'll always find the dead end before you reach the destination. Why? Because you're striving after God in your own strength. And hear me, this can be confusing for Christians and the evil one wants to deceive you by it. You are doing the right things in the wrong way. And God does not want to cast you away. God wants to bring you into full access. He doesn't want you to go do for him. He wants you to surrender that he might do in you and through you. You say, how do we do this practically, Pastor? It's about bringing God into the everyday of your life, not just as an accessory upon your life. You see, obedience precedes true intimacy. Obedience is the posture of full surrender for our heart and our life before King Jesus. And as long as you rebel and you fail to walk in obedience to Jesus, and listen to me, friends, I want you to be real clear about this. Again, Jesus is not trying to conjure up questions about our salvation. He's not trying to conjure up doubt about whether or not we're truly saved. He's trying to bring confirmation through the clarity of his teaching. And he's saying to us, do your words align with your walk. Do what you claim to believe about Jesus actually bear out in the way you live your life. You see, the measure of true maturity for the Christian is not how much they know, it's not how much they feel, it's how much they obey. And how well do we obey, friends, and the power of God's Spirit within us according to our knowledge? Or do we receive knowledge from God and go, you know, that's a great idea, God, one day I might get to it. But if God put it on your heart today, today's the day to get to it and to let nothing else get in the way of your getting to it. This, friends, is what I'm trying to press upon you today. Faith claimed without obedience forms a false familiarity with Jesus that deceives and condemns. True saving faith is not familiarity. It is intimacy with Jesus. You know him, and you are known by him. Obedience is the action that demonstrates our love for God by faith in Jesus. You see, saying Lord, Lord without doing what he says is actually a condemnation on the soul, a great deception of the soul. Participating in Christianity, going through the motions, being familiar with the church, all of these things alone prove nothing. But obedience to Jesus is the distinguishing characteristic for the true follower of Christ. At the age of 14, there was a citywide revival in our small town. And a great evangelist came, and it was down at the, at the, um, um, the football field in our small town, which was a big football field. You might call it a temple. Um, there was a great move of God, I remember, because... For a couple of weeks, we sensed the move of God in ways that as a 14-year-old who had grown up in church every day of his life, had never really sensed before. I saw people's lives changed, and I've seen them ever since for the 30-plus years since that day, live different lives because of that. One of those people 
was my mother. As a 14-year-old preacher's kid, which if you haven't put it together yet, that makes her a preacher's wife. She came to a point in those services where she realized, even though she had grown up in a Christian home, had served God in many ways, and for all good motivations and reasons, that what she was doing was more motion than intimacy, more doing than done, more about what she could accomplish for God than what God had already done for her. And as a 14-year-old punk, and that's putting it very mildly and kindly, I watched my mother throw off any pressures of positions in life and say nothing else really matters if this one thing isn't right. And she made a profession of her faith that from that day forward, a different woman appeared who's bold, who's courageous, who's radical. Some of you have met my mother. Let me tell you, not even the cable guy comes inside our house without having the gospel shared with him within three minutes before he's gone. There's a boldness of her life that is unmatched and has been from that day. I can't help but think that that was an influence upon me that two years later when I prayed to receive Christ, in the back of my mind I was thinking, let nothing stand in your way. Neither the accusation, the shame, or embarrassment within or any opposition that might arise from without. If you know that you know God, but you do not know that you are known by God, get that right and get it right immediately before you get to anything else. Friends, a life of obedience to Jesus distinguishes the real Christ follower by intimacy over familiarity with him. Do you know God? Are you known by God? Let's pray.